I want to start off this morning uh, by reading the chapter of John. As you may have noticed, if you've been here the last few weeks, we have been going through one chapter of the book of John every single week. So, this week we're in chapter 5. Now, I forgot to take note of what page number that is in your pew Bibles, uh, but it's number 753. No, 753. So, if you want to read along there, I'm just going to go ahead and... Uh, Read John chapter 5 in its entirety. To start. After these things, these things being the last things we heard about from Ryan, but you knew that. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos, and in these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately, the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, Um... It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away. And told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and now I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For if the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, But he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Again, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. 
For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You've sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him in whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I want to show you guys something, a little video um, that I want you to watch and I want you to pay attention. Uh, so as, as the, the video gets set up here, it's a little clip from the wild world of YouTube, uh, I'll give you a couple of instructions. It's going to mention these instructions as well, but just in case, there's going to be two teams of people on screen passing a basketball around. Okay. Uh, team with white shirts and a team with black shirts. Okay. What I want you to do is to do your very best to see if you can count exactly how many times the people in white shirts pass the basketball, okay? That's important. Count exactly how many times the people in white shirts in this video pass the basketball. All right, go ahead and play it. All right, pause the video, please. So, uh, let me hear some numbers. How many passes did you guys catch there? Anybody? We got, we got, third, got a couple of 13s. I got, I got a 14 as well. All right. So, uh, go ahead and press play again because there's something that you, you may not have noticed about this video. Uh, go, ahead and, go ahead and click play there. Um, did you notice the moonwalking bear? One person did. <laughs> Dave is on top of it. Check this out again. Now, don't count passes this time. Watch for the dancing, uh, the dancing man in the bear costume, because there he is. What's up? He's, he's doing all kinds of stuff to get your attention, but you didn't see him. What's going on there? 
Well, I gave you a task to focus on. I gave you a specific thing to focus on, and you guys did a really good job of focusing on that. Uh, it's an ad, by the way. Don't, you know, be careful when you drive. But <laughs> it was the best version of this video I could find. Anyway, it is an important message. Please watch out for cyclists and motorcycles. But I gave you something to focus on. You did a very good job of focusing on that, but you missed something else. See, if I had shown you that clip and there were no instructions or anything, I didn't tell you to count anything or watch anything specific, you would have come away with that from that video, probably thinking, well, the point of that video was that the dude in the bear suit that like danced across the screen halfway through. That, that's pretty much the point of this video. But because I conditioned you beforehand, you didn't even notice it was there. That's going to come into play later. A couple other things I want to talk about before uh, we really start picking apart this chapter. Um, Thank you. Can I get a, um, a volunteer to, to give me a high five real quick? Laura, Laura, help me out if you will. I'll come down here. You don't have to come up on stage. Now, all I'm going to ask you to do is give me a high five, OK? Look right at my hand. Give me a high five. That was bad. We whiffed it a little bit, got fingertips. Not a good high five. I'm going to share with you a trick for a perfect high five. By the way, you guys can all use this. This is free. You would think you would want to look at my hand, right? Don't do that. Look right at my elbow. I'm going to look at your elbow, you look at my elbow, high five. Perfect high five every time, it never fails. Why though? If you're going to hit somebody's hand, thank you by the way, Laura, if you're going to hit somebody's hand with your hand, you'd think that the place you want to look is the thing you're hitting, the hand itself. Not true. You're more accurate with your high fives if you look at the person's elbow. Totally counterintuitive. You wouldn't think of it. One final thing. Uh, I've got a picture of... Um, it's like a crazy psychedelic looking picture if you want to throw that up there on the... Nope, not that one. That's the high five picture. But that is a man high fiving a bear. Thought you needed to see that this morning. This is, um, this is what's called, I believe the official term is a stereogram, but you might know them as magic eye posters. Uh, these were big for a while. It took me forever to figure them out. But the point of it is, and you may not be able to do it when it's up on the screen here, but uh, you had books full of them or posters and you would look at them in the, just a very specific way, and eventually your vision would go all weird, and the repeating patterns overlap, and it reveals a new picture, a three-dimensional picture within the flat surface. Now, uh, these three things I just brought to your attention, this, this moonwalking bear, this, uh, the, the perfect high five, right, and the magic eye posters, these all relate specifically to one thing, and that's focus, right? You weren't focusing on the bear, so you didn't see him. You are focused in an unforeseen place for your perfect high five. And figuring out these posters uh, requires you to be able to control where your eyes are focusing. But these also relate to different parts of this chapter that I just read. Let me explain. So let's talk about the moonwalking bear first, all right? In the early verses of this chapter, we meet this guy. We meet this fellow who, something is wrong with him. It's not specified what. He's been suffering for, I want to say it was 38 years, uh, is what it said. And he's down at this pool called Bethesda. Now, the verses... Uh, in, in chapter 5, the last part of verse 3 and all of verse 4, some early copies of the manuscripts that, that we get the scriptures from 
uh, don't even have that bit. The part that explains about the angel stirring the waters and people getting in first and getting healed because they happened to get in first after an angel stirred the waters. Uh, so that particular part, that might be a little bit more of a uh, local religious legend. There's, there's no way for us to necessarily know. So the phrasing is a bit ambiguous as well. So this guy is there, though, and he's been told, and everybody in town knows about this place, right, where you wait for the water to move, and you get in there real quick, and you're healed. We got a man who's broken, and he wants to be made whole. But there's a catch-22 situation going on here, because the whole point of this pool is that you've got to be quick. You've got to move quickly and get in there before anybody else does, and the reason this guy is here is because he can't do things like that. He's broken. But he's been told that if he wants to be made whole, that he's got to go follow this, this process. Well, you go to the pool, you watch the water, you get in the water, and then you'll be healed. Those are all the things that you can do to fix yourself, but you've got to be quick, and you've got to do it just the right way. So, that being all he knows, he goes to the pool. And he lies beside the pool, trying to get healed, until Jesus shows up. And here's, here's the thing. Uh, this man had been given rules, right, that kind of arbitrarily sort of related to God. Like, well, God sends an angel and stirs the waters, so God is the one healing you. Oh, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta jump in yourself, though. The real work is on you. Then Jesus comes along, and he asks this man a question, and the fact that it's a question is interesting. He says, do you want to be healed? Duh, Jesus. That's what we do here. That's like going to a hospital and asking someone in the waiting room who's sitting there with like a broken leg, hey, do, like, do you want your leg to be healed? Obviously, yes. Why would you even ask that question? Because he wanted this man to think about what he truly wanted. Did he actually want to be made whole? He didn't ask, do you want to heal yourself? He asks, let me find the actual verse, do you wish to get well? And then the sick man's answer is what's striking here, too. Jesus asks him, do you wish to get well? And this man says, well, I don't have anyone to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. This is verse 7. But while I'm coming, someone else gets in there before me. That wasn't the question that Jesus asked. I don't know if you were paying attention, but Jesus did not ask, hey, can you get into that pool? Like, what's going on? Are you able to... No, what Jesus asked was, do you wish to get well? And this man is so entrenched in this particular process that it's been dictated to him by the religious community around him that he's like... His brain makes a jump. He says, well, yes, I wish to get well, but I can't get in there. I'm stuck because I don't have the power to make myself well. But Jesus, even though the man didn't even answer his question, Jesus knew the answer. He wanted the man to think. He says to him, well, get up, take your pallet, and walk. And then he does. That's what this man does. So here's why this relates 
to this, uh, this fantastic man in this bear costume here. When I introduced you to this video, I told you that you need to look for very specific things inside of this video. I gave you little tasks, little pointless, little meaningless tasks. Oh, count the number of times the people in white shirts pass the basketball. Why white shirts? Why passing the basketball instead of bouncing it? Who knows? It doesn't actually matter. It's not actually important. I gave you little busy work things to do, and not only did you not realize that the point of the video is a dude in a bear costume, and that the most striking and remarkable thing about the video is that there's a man in a bear costume. Could be a woman. I keep saying man. I don't know who's in there. Somebody in a bear costume, big point of the video, and because I told you to focus on something else entirely, you completely missed it. You didn't even know it was there. Because as humans, let me tell you something, multitasking, true, accurate multitasking, is not real. Now many of you may say, well, I can multitask, and uh, you might be better at attempting to multitask than other people, but if you're doing one thing and also another thing simultaneously, your focus is not gonna be as much on one of them as it could. If you actually wanna focus, you're gonna miss things about this thing if you're also focusing on this thing at the same time. That's just how our brains work. While you were focusing on the basketball, you missed the gorilla, and while this guy was focusing on getting into that pool, on doing exactly the right thing in the right process with the right timing, he was missing the fact that the true power didn't lay in what he could do or what some other person around him could do in lifting him up to put him into the pool. The true power was in God. I'm going to move on. I'm going to bring this back later, but I want to move on to, uh, to talking about how the perfect high five relates here, okay? Because in, uh, in verse 10, it says, The Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It's the Sabbath. It's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Now, um, these Jews, they, they may have been Pharisees. They may have just been people. They were probably just Jewish people. Uh, but they were, regardless, they were uh, pharisaical, if you will. They were a lot like Pharisees if they weren't actually Pharisees because what they were focusing on here, they, here's what they see, right? Put yourself in the shoes of these Jews. Put yourself in Jew shoes, right? So there's this guy who has been sick, not able to walk for, I want to say, 38 years. He doesn't go very far, so it's not like he travels a lot. He's around, okay? He's around town. You see this guy. You probably know who this guy is. You know he can't walk. You see this dude who you've known as a cripple for however long you've known about him just strolling by. And the very first thought in your mind is... Yeah, but it's the Sabbath, so you're carrying your... That's not... You can't... What? Well, to, to me, what I feel like would strike me the most about that particular experience would be the fact that this guy who couldn't walk is just walking with no explanation. I've seen this guy walking now. 
That would be what seems like it would be most striking to me. Like, um, I'm sorry, how are you walking? But that's not the first thing they say. The first thing they say is, you can't do that, man. You can't, you're breaking the rules. You're carrying your pallet. It's the Sabbath. They have very strict rules about the Sabbath, by the way. Uh, in some communities, uh, some Jewish communities, you couldn't even walk a certain number of steps. Like, you had to, like, if you got past, you know, 15 steps or whatever the number was, eh, Sinning. You're suddenly sinning now because 16 steps, definitely sinning. 15 steps, nope, you're good with God. He's fine. God's counting your steps. Don't go over. They were very strict. And they were very locked in to these rules. You see, later on in the chapter, Jesus mentions, well, your hope is in Moses, isn't it? Here's what he means by that, is that Moses, if you remember from the book of Exodus, he's the dude that went up on the mountain after the Israelites had been freed from their slavery in Egypt, went up on Mount Sinai and received the law from God. God had used Moses to free the Israelite people, wanted to make them a proper nation. you got to have a set of laws, a set of rules. So God gives them those rules to Moses. And you can read those rules in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy... Check those out if you want. Those were the rules for that nation to abide by, given by God. And over time, that nation took those rules and decided, well, sure, the ones God gave us are great, but I don't think they're specific enough. In fact, I think we need a few more. Yeah, yeah, we need a few more. But don't worry. All these new laws, they're based on, on God's laws. They're based on the scriptures that we've been given. And so that means that they're pretty much God's word. They're pretty much God's law. They're not our laws. No, we didn't. <laughs> no. They make up all these new rules. And, and by the time Jesus comes along, Jewish culture, Hebrew culture, was such that they were locked into this law and the law was everything. You may remember the verse from, I think, Deuteronomy where it says, keep, you know, keep my commands close. Uh, speak about them when you sit down, when you stand up, tell them to your children. Bind them to your wrists and to your foreheads. Some people were actually doing that. They would put little scrolls and little boxes that they would tie onto their wrists or to their foreheads. Every, the, the law was everything. The law of God, up until this point, up until when Jesus showed up, God in human form, the only way that people had to relate to God, the only way that his chosen people could relate to him was through the words he gave them, through the laws. And the religious authorities at the time had taken and made a whole bunch of new laws, told them those were God's laws, and were using that to control and have power. And that's how ingrained it was. Israelite children would go study the laws, study the scriptures every day. If you wanted to be a Pharisee, or if you wanted to be a rabbi, which a lot of them did, or if you wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi, the study got even more intense. They were locked into this law. They heard it over and over and over again growing up into adulthood. The law was everything to them. So when they see somebody breaking it, their focus is not on the miracle that this dude is walking now. Their focus is on this thing that's very important to me, this thing that is all of my spiritual existence, this thing that is the only way I know to relate to God, 
He's breaking it. He's going directly against it. You can't do that, man. Put down your pallet. Stop walking. It's cool that you can now, but don't do it. That was the problem, is that their, their instinct, the, the, the place where they instinctively wanted to focus was on the law. The place where they instinctively wanted to focus was where they had been raised to focus. I want to focus on the law. I don't want to focus on other stuff around it. That's secondary. That's circumstantial. What's important here is that you're breaking the law. That was their instinct to focus there because that was their life. Much like this perfect high five. If you want to hit something, you look at the thing you're hitting. That's just standard common sense. It's basic. If you want to accurately hit a fly, you want to look at that fly and get it. You're not going to look five inches away from the fly for some reason. No, you look right at it. And so if I tell you that a perfect high five involves you not even looking at the thing you're trying to hit, that seems silly. But again, try this. It works every single time. It's never failed for me. Which is weird. It's counterintuitive. But it's true. That's the thing. There's a lot of truth out there that when we hear it or we see it, it, it butts up against our instinct, our perception of how, you know, what common sense is and what instinctively we would think common sense is. And it doesn't, it doesn't click. If you've ever seen an optical illusion, that's exactly what's happening there. Things are a certain way, objectively, but your eyes and your brain aren't seeing it that same way. There's only so much of our perception that we can trust. I, I, I would have pulled up a couple of these. I didn't want to make it too long, but, but look up optical illusions uh, when you get home. Or, you know, if you have a smartphone, look them up right now. It's optical illusions. You just have to look at a few of those to realize that there's certain things about our perception and about what we instinctively perceive that we just can't trust because we're humans, right? And we're messed up. And there's a lot of, lot of stuff wrong with us. But we seem to trust ourselves over anyone else, which is interesting. And these Jews, they trusted their instincts, which were focus on the law. But Jesus asked them to focus somewhere else entirely. Uh, what's really interesting here, though, and you may have heard me or noticed me hinting at this up until this point, real quick. Again, coffee. Because I'm not talking fast enough and I need more caffeine. Um, ha, jokes. So, what's interesting though about these, these, these Jewish folks here, may or may not have been Pharisees, they parallel the crippled man. Okay? As do all of us. Now, you may have made this connection already, but if you haven't, Here's what's going on. The cripple, broken man, wants to be made whole. Is told by religious culture and authorities, here's what you gotta do. Very specific steps that you can take on your own power to make yourself whole. But God is still involved. Because, you see, it's his angel that stirs the waters, but you gotta put in the work. The Pharisees, or the Jewish people, 
who saw this man and criticized him. Also broken people. Not in a literal physical sense, but in the same way that every single one of us is broken in that we know there's something wrong with us. Everybody's got something wrong with them. That comes from our, our nature and our, 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 our instinctive nature trends towards sinfulness, towards selfishness and self-preservation. And so in the same way as all of us are broken, these, these Jewish people were broken, and they wanted to make themselves whole as well. So they went with what the authority and the religious culture and the religious leaders around them had told them and had been telling them for years, you do this specific thing of your own power, don't do these other things, then, if you're lucky, you'll be made whole. If you get into the pool just before anybody else, very specific little, little requirements, because we all know God is all about specific little requirements, right? You'll be made whole. Thing is, when Jesus came and asked this man if he wanted to be made well, if he wanted to get well, even though his focus was still on, well, I can't get into the pool, he was ready to shift his focus. When Jesus said, get up, take your pallet, and walk, the man doesn't go, bro, I can't do that. We just went through this. I can't even get into the pool. Are you listening? No, he just, okay, I'll try. He just gets up and walks. He was ready to shift his focus from something that emphasized his own power as a person to something that emphasized God's power, to shift his focus to Jesus. And when Jesus showed this to the other Jews around by healing this man, when this man walked by of his own power and they saw him walking, their focus didn't shift. They weren't willing to change their focus from gotta keep the law to how did you get well? The very first question they ask is, or the very first thing they say is, it's the Sabbath, you can't do that. They don't say, how are you walking? I wanna know. Where's that power coming from? They're unwilling to shift their focus. So, Two, two different kinds of people looking for the same thing. They're broken. They want to be made whole. One of them was willing to shift his focus, and he was made whole by Jesus because of his faith, not because of anything he did. That's what's important. Okay, well, I got another point to bring it all together, but I got to move on. So I want to talk about the Magic Eye poster one more time. I don't know if you guys, uh, any of you, were ever able to figure these things out. Go ahead and throw up the third point there in the, in the slide. Uh, it took me a long time to do so. But the, the trick to these is that you need to, and it helps to have it in your hands in front of you, but your eyes, when you look at your hand right here, you're focusing closer. But if I'm looking at those flowers, I focus farther away. And you notice... When I do that, well, you won't notice, but when I do that, my hand kind of goes into double vision because I'm not focusing on it. I'm focusing beyond it. And I can still kind of move my hand in front of my face and keep focusing on the point where the flowers are, and it still looks like there's, there's two hands there. That's, that's kind of the trick to these posters. Now, there's another thing that these, these Jews were, were a bit too focused on. They were focused a lot on Jesus' humanity. 
Because when Jesus says to them, my father was working until now, and now I am working, what they think is blasphemy. Dude just put himself on equal footing with God, and this is just some guy. I mean, he was a well-known teacher, rabbi in the area, because he'd done some interesting stuff, as we've seen up until this point. But still, he was a guy. And probably a lot of the people there hadn't been present for any of his miracles and probably weren't able to confirm them with their own eyes, and so were likely still very skeptical. And so they see some dude saying, God was working up till now, but now I got it. I'm covering it. That's an issue. Understandably, if you're in these guys' shoes, you'd probably think the same thing if the same thing happened in front of you. Some, some preacher says, all right, I'm doing God's work now. No, not everybody. No, no, no. I'm doing, like, actually God's work. Okay? You would have an issue. I would have an issue. These Jews had an issue because they were focused specifically on God's humanity. On Jesus's, rather, humanity. So Jesus breaks this down for them. He says, you're not focusing in the right spot. And he tries to refocus them. Not on, not on how right he is and how wrong they are, but on the Father. Here's the thing. Verse... Uh, well, I'll jump ahead to, uh, to verse uh, 33, because at this point, he breaks this down for them in three distinct parts, or sorry, four distinct parts. There's John, that is John the Baptist, you may recognize that name, works the Father and the Scripture. John works the Father and the Scripture. So the first thing he says, verse 33, you have sent to John the Baptist, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He's basically saying to them, hey, you remember John. He was a teacher. He was baptizing people. He was a real character out in the desert wearing camel skin and eating bugs and stuff. You remember that guy? He testified about me. I shouldn't have to tell you that some other guy testified about me to convince you, to make you understand where I'm coming from here, but I know that you need to hear it, so I'm saying it for you. Verse 36 talks about his works. It says, But the testimony which I have is greater than just the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me, that the Father has sent me. Notice, this is a defense of himself. Jesus is defending himself by pointing to the Father. He says, look, the stuff I'm doing is legitimate. The stuff I'm saying is legitimate because of God, because I was sent by the Father. That's where your focus should be. And then the witness of the Father himself, verse 37, and the Father who sent me has testified of me. You've neither heard his voice nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you. Then he segues into the scripture, tells him the scriptures, says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. These guys, remember, were into the scriptures. They knew it backwards, forwards, and backwards is actually forwards to us because it was in Hebrew and they read backwards. But the point is, these guys knew the scriptures and this, then Jesus says, look, you know these scriptures, but you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. Again, he turns it back to the Father. Every single defense that Jesus makes for himself whether it's based on what John said, the things that Jesus does, 
scriptures, he all turns it back and says, because the Father. Now, I get a little bit into <laughs> a confusing aspect of Jesus' nature because Jesus, as the Bible describes him, is, was completely human and also completely God. How does this work? This is a good illustration of this. This picture up here. Because here's the thing. This is one picture. You know, if I pulled it down from there and I had it on a piece of paper, it would be one solid piece of paper. One picture. But it's two pictures. It's also one picture, but it's two pictures. Remember that trick. You've got to focus a little beyond the thing itself, right? And if you focus beyond that, the second picture becomes clearer, and it's three-dimensional, and it's the first time you figure these things out, big moment. It's, it's like, it's, whoa, what? It blew me away the first time I figured one of these out because it's a completely different uh, aspect of depth. You're seeing something that you've never really witnessed before. It's completely different. It's the second picture. This is two pictures, but this is one picture. You see where I'm coming from here? Jesus was human, completely. Jesus was God, completely. These people that he's talking to didn't see it because they wouldn't focus on the point beyond his humanity. Here's Jesus' humanity. They were looking right here. All they saw was, this person's a human. This is just some guy. He's saying he's God. Jesus says, look, my works... The testimony of John, the scriptures themselves, the Father. All of it points to the Father. Now focus on the Father, and you'll see who I truly am. So, to wrap this up on time, uh, a couple of takeaways that I want to share with you. Got those on a couple more slides as well. Um, Remember the question that, that Jesus asked the crippled guy, do you want to be healed? Do you? And are you willing to shift your focus? Because that's what the crippled man had to do. He had to stop focusing on, got to get into the pool, got to watch the waters move, got to get in there quick, to, Jesus told me to do something, I should do it. That's actually less complicated. He was ready to shift his focus, but... If you're ready to shift your focus, understand that means admitting you're wrong. Oof. I'm wrong and I need to change are the two most painful phrases for a human to say and the two hardest ones to get a human person to say. I'm wrong. I need to change. Oof. It, just, it hurts me just saying that. But I'm also very stubborn and I'm right most of the time. I'm not. But, but, you got to be ready to say that. you got to be willing to, when you see that you're wrong about where you're focusing, admit it. And then change. Let God change you. Shift your focus to him, and then do what he tells you. That's what the scripple man did. Tell me what to do. And then just do it. Don't ask questions. Don't complain. Well, you can ask questions, but don't complain. Don't say, well, yeah, but... Don't make excuses like Moses did. Just get up and do it. Number two, uh, there's kind of two kinds of people 
I put Pharisees up there, but uh, Pharisees or, or the Jewish people in this passage, and the crippled man. Both broken. Both wanted to be made whole. Both focused in on a very specific religious system that is meant to emphasize your own abilities and your own powers to utilize those to fix yourself. One of them was willing to shift his focus. The others were not. Which one are you? Are you refusing to shift your focus? Have you been for a long time? Introspection is important. Looking at, at where you are in relation to God is important. Ask these questions of yourself. Which one of these types of people are you? And then third point, do you need to refocus specifically? Are you still counting how many passes the white team makes and completely missing the moonwalking bear in the middle of the shot? You know, are you, are you still trying to stare at your friend's hand and whiffing all your high fives? Are you still staring at a pattern, refusing to focus beyond it, and not seeing every picture you can possibly see? Are you still laying by the pool, watching the water, hoping it moves, and hoping you can get in there just fast enough, and then getting frustrated when someone else does, and you fall short time and time again? Are you still trying to heal yourself on your own terms? Are you still trying to fix the parts about you that you're not satisfied with on your own terms and on your own power? Because it doesn't work that way. We need God for that. We need Jesus for that. And it doesn't come from focusing on some specific set of religious rules. It comes from focusing on the Father through Jesus, guided by the Holy Spirit. So refocus. Refocus every day. That's all I got. Let's pray. God, I, uh, I thank you for this morning and the opportunity to get into the word that you've left for us and um, that, that's still relevant today, every word of it. Um, and I pray that we would shift our focus if we need to, that, that we'd be watching and listening for your voice so that we'd know where we need to change our focus to, but that ultimately, God, that we would be focused on you, on, on you, the Father, on you, the Son, you, the Holy Spirit, and guided by that and not by, not by rules, not by our own power, not by things that we think we can do, uh, but by your power, because that's the, really the true power. So we thank you. Uh, we pray that you would change us uh, in these ways. In your name, amen.